How is everyone doing? I hope those who want to get vaccinated have had the chance to get vaccinated and those who are hesitant are keeping safe. But inshallah, everyone is well. I'm going to flow a bit in this episode, so please bear with me and flow with me. I'm currently working on my sex coaching and consultancy certificates. Those who follow my episodes know that I'm hoping to become a certified sexuality and sex consultant by maybe next year. After my student visa rejection, I hope life doesn't throw more surprises at me. I'm really not in the mood to restructure my life one more time. I came across something really interesting in the psychology of sex program. It's to be very careful on judging normal and abnormal behavior, as they're not really set in stone and they vary from one culture to another. And this is where tons of misdiagnosis take place. But what is normal in different cultures? Let's have a look. Virginity for an unmarried man or a woman in their late 30s is considered normal in the Arab world, whereas a country like the U.S., Masalan, they tend to lose their virginity out of wedlock at a much earlier age. In Asia, where they are very competitive, aggressiveness is, a no- is normal due to their competitive nature. However, a country like Canada, Masalan, aggressive behavior is considered abnormal. But who is to say which one of them is the normal one? This is why it's important to understand the culture and background of any story before passing a judgment or a diagnosis. Because a verbal diagnosis can have major consequences on the person receiving the information. So it's extremely important to understand the work protocol first. But the beauty about culture is that it develops. Think of how some things used to be unheard of 50 and 20 years ago and how they are acceptable today. The most common example would be running for presidency. And then there is knowledge is power. But what a broad statement. When it comes to certifications, for example, what does it really mean? I was having this conversation with a friend who told me that it's never about the type of degree and where the degree comes from. It's what we choose to do with it and how we develop. And this friend has tons of degrees and certifications. I'm not kidding. If she frames them, she can fill up an entire wall. And yet, as grateful as she is to have them all, they don't serve her in her work today. And she's right. The best school in the world does not guarantee graduates will do well in life. They need to work and sculpt themselves in that profession for the degree to work for them. Maybe this is why in reality there is no competition but yourself. Everyone has their own flavor to add to the same profession that thousands of people have. Think about it. We can all do the same thing, but still be very different. But I guess the challenge is to see past our competitive nature and focus on reaching our maximum potential. I myself, I can have a competitive, jealous mindset. But how I move forward and not get distracted by the noise around me, is on me. And I always feel better when I do something that helps me progress rather than sit around and feel the fear that somebody else might be doing the same thing. Anyway, back to certifications and credentials. Another friend said that she's been to a couple of psychiatrists, and she liked them all, but one in particular made her realize that there was no cash value in her investment. Not because she was a bad psychiatrist, but because 90% of the time was spent on chit-chat catch-up. And that client-patient boundaries needed to be set, but from the psychiatrist. But I guess sometimes it's on us, the individual, to set it. It shouldn't be the case, but it's not always comfortable either. But 
when we need to, I think it's important to show up for ourselves. And we get better at it with practice. And of course, there was this brief, unfortunate experience I had with Emma Freud, certified life coach. Now, in all fairness, I didn't hire her to be my life coach, but she was somebody I knew who had asked me for a favor, which I had agreed to. And after the favor was done, she looked me up and down and uninvitingly said, I think you need to see a life coach because it would be good for you. I smiled and I said that I already had one. She looked me up and down again and said, well, clearly she's not doing a good job. Wow, bitch, sah. I thought so at first. But the reality is she's not a bitch, perhaps not qualified to speak back then and needed to rethink her words. But had I been in a bad place when she spoke to me the way she did, I would have seen her helpful attempt as cruel and I would have felt really bad about myself. Contrary to common belief, I am absolutely not against any kind of coaching. I'm against lack of knowledge. Learning is a never-ending process, but I believe it's really important to acknowledge which level you're at in life and work your way from up there. I've seen many people in the Arab world, and I only say the Arab world because this is where I live. I've seen them invest in a short course, or maybe two, and go out trying to make a difference in people's life and mess it up while charging them a fee. I find that dangerous because they miss a very big step to thoroughly do the work on themselves first. This requires time and dedication with the right mentors. And I see many coaches want easy and clients want a quick fix. But sunnat al-haya is anyway, easy come, easy go. If you want to call me judgmental, by all means, do. Because many people who are serious about going down the, the path of coaching and wellness realize that they will forever be students because the work in self-development never stops. And it takes a lot of work, it takes time and observation to not let your own personal opinions get in the way. This is why it's important to deal with your own triggers first. And speaking of triggers, so please again flow with me. While I was planning my trip to Amman, I did so much projection. I wrote this episode in Amman and I tried to do the recording there, but the sound of the wind in the background, cars honking because the windows are always open because we don't really use AC there and the home phone constantly ringing off the hook made the flipping of my script pages in everyone's ears sound like heaven. But anyway, while it felt good to be in Amman, I came to Amman with the belief that I had anxiety from Amman and the people I know. And I had to remind myself that I know a lot of people and I have tons of friends and they never stop being interested in being my friend. But I stopped making the effort to see them when I was in town. It's not because I have nothing in common with them or have nothing to say to them because we're all nafsatina bil akhir. It's because I realized I have a limiting belief being there and I don't give enough credits to the person I have become. And ladies and gents, That is on me, none on them. I did end up calling a couple of friends and the script and the scene in my head was very different from reality. They wanted to see me. No one said any of the words I rehearsed on their behalf in my head. It was all my ego protecting me from not doing the effort. Yep, movie star, move over. 
بس زبدة this episode is that I'm excellent at going around in circles and avoiding a topic. I can talk people in and out of different conversations without them realizing it. Maybe it's a skill I developed in sales in the media industry. But my life coach, who I call Super Ruta, oh, how she called me out on it. Going around in circles and conversations is a reflection on how I handle challenges in my life. And maybe this will resonate with many of you. I don't always like confrontations, but they are so important to have. So when I don't want to confront my own shadow and process my feelings or talk to the individual who pissed me off, my mind tricks me into believing that I am hungry and I end up either eating my emotions or spending them. It's easier than identifying them. So I came up with an exercise to name my hunger, not to name my emotion, because it helped me corner the hunger I thought I felt whenever I could. And I can safely tell you that every single time I wanted to eat and I was able to identify the hunger, it turned out to have nothing to do with real hunger. Most of the time, it wasn't even anxiety. It was boredom and procrastination that led to feeling restless. And I wanted to escape feeling restless so I would just visit the fridge. Now, Super Ruta, she added something to that exercise when I spoke to her about it. She asked me to put a paper inside the fridge so that I can open it whenever I, when it, so that I could see it. I mean, whenever I open the fridge door that reads, what am I really hungry for? I want to tear up the paper every time I open the fridge, but I haven't so far. It's the only thing that keeps me mindful when I trip into old habits. And I really wanted to share this exercise with you because it has really been helpful to me. Name the hunger before you spend the money or eat whatever you think the emotion is. Because most of the time it is coming from lack. It helps you get inside your body and it helps you connect with it. And it helps you feel way better later on instead of going through a mindless behavior that once you're done with it, you end up feeling really bad. I realized I jumped onto too many subjects under 10 minutes, but I just felt like flowing today. So thank you for flowing with me. And take care until next time when I finally do speak a bit about sexuality.